Hey everybody, uh, welcome to uh, Permanente Docs Chat. I'm your host, Alex McDonald. Uh, I practice family medicine and sports medicine here in Fontana, California, and, and a partner of the Southern California Permanente Medical Group. So thank you all for joining or tuning in today from wherever you may be listening or watching. Uh, please be sure to check out and share our current and past ch uh, chats on the Permanente Medicine YouTube page. Just search Permanente Medicine YouTube and you'll find us. Uh, a bunch of great podcasts as well. All of our past chats are on there as well too. Uh, if you can't watch this live, although I assume everyone here is watching this live, uh, you can always uh, review it there later as well too. So enough of that. Let's get into the fun part today. I'm very excited to welcome our guest, uh, Dr. Sangrida Marwaha, I hope I'm saying that wrong, <laughs> uh, saying that correctly, is a dermatologist from the Permanente Medical Group, and we are going to discuss artificial intelligence in healthcare, particularly in dermatology as well, too. So thank you, Dr. Marwaha, for, for, for joining us. Um, really appreciate your time. Thank you, Alex. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, let's just jump, jump right in. Um, why don't you tell everyone who you are and, and what you do? Sure, I'd love to. So I'm a dermatologist, uh, trained many years ago on the East Coast, went to Hopkins and, and did other training. I was in prior practice before I joined the TPMG group and moved out to the West Coast about uh, 24 years ago. Um, now I'm the chief of dermatology in Napa Solano, and I'm also the head of uh, technology as well as process improvement for dermatology. Great. Sounds awesome. So you wear many hats, which is uh, the, the best thing I love about Permanente is we can do so many different things. Um, tell us, tell us kind of how you got interested in, in artificial intelligence um, and, and what excites you most about the opportunities within artificial intelligence within healthcare? Sure, I'd love to. Um, for me, um, I've noticed that for myself, that my brain is happiest when it's working, when it's learning, when it's trying to understand processes, how they work, um, and search for solutions. And so I grew up um, in a family where it's all about conversation. We sit around the kitchen table for hours talking about anything and everything. We learn from each other, different specialties, different fields, and realize there's so much that can be done around PI work, you know, sort of process improvement, efficiencies. And I think for, to really figure out how things work, how they're built, and what we can do to enable efficiencies in either healthcare or any other system is, is what I love. And so getting into the work around technology is building efficiencies into healthcare. But I think it's more than that. I think AI or augmented intelligence really allows us to build these efficiencies so we can deliver more compassion. You know, if we're so busy always memorizing and recalling, we can't really touch the patient or we can't spend time with the patient, get to know them. And I think what excites me is really uh, allowing AI to do that part of our work where we can deliver more of that one-on-one -on -one connection. I, I, lo I love that for, for so many different reasons that, you know, particularly, you know, freeing up our, our brain to yeah. do the human part of medicine, because we know there is so much to that, the human touch and the human interaction, which you can't get through a computer or a screen. Um, and that's so valuable. And then, and then, and then the other thing is you use the term augmented intelligence, not artificial intelligence, um, which I love. And I've heard that from, from a few of our uh, TPMG colleagues before. Tell us, Tell us more about that in, in, in AI using the term augmented intelligence versus artificial intelligence. 
Absolutely. Um, I think artificial intelligence gives us sort of the wrong view. It's more of this uh, fantasized view of what computers can do and where we're going to get to. I think really uh, clinicians still have the central role in healthcare and physicians really won't be replaced by robots, uh, no matter how much we see that on TV. Um, I think augmented intelligence is the things that I can automate and really feed into an algorithm. So our brains work like algorithms when it comes to medicine. We're constantly thinking of what could this be? How can we treat it? What are the risk factors? So augmenting my intelligence or using computers to do that allows us to help the clinicians take care of the patients, not sort of replace the patient. And I think that's really where we're getting to more than just replacing them. Yeah, that's such a great, great point to help support us I was reading an article, again, I'm a, I'm a family physician, I practice primary care. I was reading an article that to do all the routine screening recommendations from the United uh, uh, Preventive Services Task Force, it would take each physician like 27 hours a day if we were doing all of the routine screening work, um, which is just impossible. Obviously, the math doesn't work out, um, but that's that's helpful where this sort of team-based care and also this augmented intelligence can be so helpful. You know, I saw a patient this morning, actually, for, for a knee injury, but then it also popped up, hey, they're due for their mammogram. Yeah. Like, hey, it's October. It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So I, I really appreciate little kind of reminders like that to help us be better at what we do and provide more evidence-based and equitable care. Um, so it removes some of these sort of inherent biases that we have as physicians, because I mean, everybody has bias. Um, so I, that's one of the things I love about, um, about kind of augmented intelligence and in healthcare. Um, obviously it can, you get alarm fatigue and pop-up fatigue, which is going to be a whole nother issue. Um, but I think there's so much opportunity there to really help us all practice at the, at the best uh, evidence-based medicine possible. I think also thinking about, you know, if you have augmented intelligence, it's delivering the right care to the right person. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there isn't, there's something to be said for screening for everybody, what everybody needs, but then there is stratification that's needed when somebody's high risk. And, yeah. you know, we don't always remember all of the risk factors and maybe their nuances in who needs the care faster or quicker, you know, or, you know, more detailed care. Um, and I think that's one place that I, I can definitely use some help in my brain. And, and I think we can build that. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, what are, what are some, some applications that you're currently working on or that, that Permanente is currently working on uh, for new or maybe slightly innovative or, or maybe augmented intelligence in sort of a different way that we typically people don't think of? Right. So our, our um, AD on technology, Dr. Edley, he's, he's stratified augmented intelligence into three different ways. And so he, the first place I would like to start is sort of predictive analysis. I think this is my favorite section. I think predictive analysis applies to uh, stratifying care. And so if you can build tools in a way that we use them, so someone with high trans oh, has a transplant, a patient with a solid organ transplant has a higher risk for skin cancer. But there are nuances to that. So some people have higher risk based upon the type of transplant, the age they got their transplant. So if we can build tools that allow us to say, okay, this is high risk, this person is high risk, and how often should they be screened? That's something I think is, offers great value. Um, so that's something that we're doing. The other thing is looking at patients who, for example, may need um, screenings for melanoma. Um, so those also we're looking at how to stratify that care better. 
So predictive analysis using patients' own information and then to stratify their risk. Um, the other thing that we're doing is building, trying out a computer vision technology, where as you can imagine, dermatology, we get the question all the time, can you look at the spot? Can't you just tell from the spot what you have? So using a photo or something to analyze and then give you an answer, we are testing a technology like that, but it still requires more information. You know, there's a lot of uh, difficulty sometimes just taking a photo and saying, analyze this photo, figure out what it is and just tell me what to do. There's still more to be done around that, but the, the, the technology is definitely getting there. Um, it's just, we're testing some of these right now. Yeah, makes me think sort of about some of the conversations we've had about, um, well, not you and I, just in general in healthcare conversations about sort of precision medicine and, and, and rather sort of blanket uh, tools, very specific tools based on a lot of demographics for that individual patient yeah. as well. Too. So I think that's really, really interesting. Can make sure we providing provide better care, but also um, uh, more evidence-based and, 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 and better resource utilization. There's only so many doctors, there's only so many um, nurses, there are only so many pharmacists and making sure that we're really making sure everyone is is being treated the appropriate way and getting the care they need in the appropriate time and place, just like you mentioned earlier. Right. And then there's some demographics that may not be as valuable. For example, equity, like you talked about equity of care in skin of color, are we really providing the care that's necessary? So do we take, how do we take that out of the picture? Um, mm. So maybe, you know, looking at age and location is one thing, but taking out some of the demographics might be giving us more equitable care. Yeah, I think that's a great, that's a really great point. What are, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges facing uh, sort of the augmented intelligence community these days? So I think one of the things is biases. I really do think, particularly for dermatologies, when you build things like computer vision, where you're looking at a photograph and analyze a photograph, you do have to take into account that systems are only as good as the data they're fed. So mm -hmm. if we don't have a lot of skin of color images, for example, you can't train a system to differentiate darker skin types with, let's say, nevi or moles. So mm -hmm. where do you find the color variation photographs to train a system? So I think that's always going to be somewhat of an issue. Um, I think the more you have uh, good data, the more you can build better systems. And then I think the second area is even when we use natural language processing to analyze, let's say, emails or other content and messaging, remember, we're only as good as, again, how we, how we program these. So when you look for keywords, the keywords mean the same. So the language is variable based upon uh, different ethnicities. So we use language differently. So when we build systems and we are based uh, our programs on the language, is it, does it mean the same thing to everybody? So again, going back to this variability in human nature, how do we build systems that work for everybody? Hmm. That's really interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. And just some of the, some of the euphemisms and terms that people use, a lot of my Latinx patients say, oh, I drank my medicine. I was like, are you prescribed the liquid version? I'm like, no, I use a pill, but it's, just, it's a term that they use in that, in that culture. I, I drink yeah. my medicine. So that's really interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that before, but it is an interesting point that sort of our AI tools are only as good as the information we put into them um, to, to create them in the first place. One other thing I think about is as we build these tools and we stratify care, like you said before, there's only so much dollars. There's so many dollars and there's so many people to take care of. How do we deliver the right care to the right person? And I think at the soonest touch point, one of the, I think, excitements for me is, can I get the care slightly upstream? So when patients need the care, and they want good information, how can I get them to take care of themselves? 
And how can I get them to do some analysis or home care before they even reach out to me? Because there's so many sites out there. There's so many websites to look for information, chat groups, you know, um, forums. Where are they going to go for good information? And a lot of times, you know, they don't need to come to me, but I need to find the right places for them to get the good information. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as a primary care doctor and someone who believes uh, deeply in health equity, talking about going upstream, like that's my that's my language. Um, I, I love that. If we can predict things or treat them when they're small before they get bigger, yeah. that's obviously better for everybody too. So um, tell us about uh, these kind of maybe, maybe the next questions can kind of go together. What do you think are some of the greatest sort of untapped potentials that we have yet to experience for augmented intelligence? And, and then how do you think augmented intelligence excuse me, augmented intelligence is going to change medicine in the next five or, or 10 years. So untapped potential and how it will change. So for me, I'll tell you what I envision. So I envision for myself, I'm taking care of patients. And at some point, um, I open up this health record, and it tells me what I need for this patient. So just like you said, the tickler, but it almost it, if I know the diagnosis, or, or somehow know the diagnosis, it says for this patient, this would be the best medicine to try. Um, mm -hmm. It should take into account their labs, their past history, what they've tried, their allergies, you know, how long they've had it, maybe the research on each of the, the medications or treatment plan and say, you know, I've done this analysis for you and this person coming in today needs this, needs this pathway. Um, mm -hmm. That would be great. I think that would allow me more time to spend explaining having empathy, you know, sitting down with them, um, answering questions. But the formulation of the treatment plan uh, would be great if it could help me with that. Mm -hmm. So shift my complete visit to a slightly different path. I, I love that idea. I, I spent, I can think of a patient last week, a brand new patient to me, uh, dealing with just sort of some chronic abdominal issues and literally have been, has seen by 20 doctors and uh, 20 different CT scans. And I started to spend the time going through the history, right. learning about all the things they had done, what medicines they had tried. Uh, and I spent like the whole visit just getting the history of, of their, of this really complicated present illness, as opposed to like actually moving the ball forward and coming up with a treatment plan. So I would have loved that tool last week. So if you can work on that for me, I'd really appreciate it. You know, imagine if you had opened the chart and the, and the computer actually talked to you and said, this, this person you're going to see tomorrow is, you know, a 25 year old gentleman with this history and they've had this, the CT scan has shown this over the last three years. It's like as if a student, a medical student was in the room with me and talking to me and summarized that for me. Yeah. In addition, they told me what to do. <laughs> Even better. Um, I'm looking forward to when I can go into a room and just have a conversation with a patient. Mm -hmm. And then I walk out of the room and the AI is just creating the note in the background and it picks up on all the different important tools. And I don't have to spend half my time clicking on a computer and I can literally spend time talking to patients and interacting and making sure we're all on the same page with the, with the treatment plan as well too. That's what I'm most looking forward to, but I think we're a couple of years away still. Well, you know, I think scribing is, is one of the hard, one of the sort of pain points for all doctors, um, whether you're scribing verbally or, or, you know, by the, by typing, I think having to document everything to you do, even when you have the best intentions mm -hmm. is, is really hard. Um, if somebody could just watch what you do all day and say, okay, you did everything you were supposed to. So let me just write it down for you. I do agree. Right. Like a, a, an invisible scribe somewhere in the room that's watching you um, to do that. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> 
I, I know there are people working on that. I know it's obviously not ready for prime time yet, and we're seeing little hints here and there. Um, but I'm 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 very much looking forward to that one that day. But I'm not going to hold my breath, unfortunately. Um, you, you you kind of you kind of talked about this before, but I want to delve into it. Uh, you know, some some people say yeah, physicians are going to are going to be replaced by by computers and by uh, AI. You know, what do you what do you say to people who who think that our jobs will become obsolete at some point? Yeah, I don't see that anytime, anytime at all, actually. Um, you know, thinking about what we've been through, through the pandemic and COVID and the isolation, um, I find that many of my patients still want to come in and be, you know, just hands on, talk to somebody, talk to a doctor. Um, I think the, the doctor title still means something out there. So they want to come in, they want that reassurance, um, that you know, it's not going to go away. They still feel that we have the best knowledge in whatever field we, we practice. So I don't think we're going to go away. I think our, our practice may change. Like, like I said before, the thinking that's involved in, in creating a treatment plan may change. Uh, and that you may have to have more compassion and communication skills. So that might shift. I do think that augmented intelligence will allow patients to feel better before they see us. So let's say something is benign or self-limiting, or they just need reassurance that they're doing the right thing. You have a sore throat for a day. Do, I don't know if you really need to come into the doctor's office, um, but having something to reassure them, and that could be more electronic uh, versus when things are really, really ill and they need to come in. The other thing is, you know, we're facing a manpower shortage after COVID and the great resignation. There's going to be fewer doctors practicing, at least for the time being. And we really want to put our skill sets to use where we're needed most. So again, if it could augment giving care to lower, let's say, uh, acute conditions and really reassure people that they are okay, especially during this time after during, if we can say after COVID, um, if we can say that even, uh, if we can reassure patients that things are benign, things are self-limiting, then I think our job is really to take care of the sick. Yeah, that, that's such a great point. Just really focusing on, on taking care of the sick and getting rid of the busy work sometimes, yeah. which burns out clinicians all the time. Um, so we have a question from the audience. Sorry, I didn't see this earlier. Um, and so we're or try, try to answer these quickly rapid fire here. So for those of us uh, frontline clinicians with a background interest in technology, how do we get involved to help develop and shape some of this work in AI? Um, and on a related note, in order to minimize bias to increase the impact of the work, how can we take advantage of uh, our large workforce? I think they're referring to Permanente and our and Permanente's very large patient population to help shape some of this work as well. So one is if you're interested in technology, uh, at least at TPMG, we have our department technology leads. For every department and every specialty, there's a technology lead. So hooking up with them or your chief and getting involved in certain projects. I think everybody who has a mindset of PI work, process improvement, can do technology work. Because now any form of process improvement involves change in workflows, but also additional adding technology tools. So you can talk to them. Uh, I'm sure they love additional help. And then as you do your regular clinical work, think of projects. I uh, really try to foster all of my staff, whether they're physicians or non-physicians, to say, you're thinking of something you're doing every day, all the time. What would you do differently? What kind of tool would you need? And the best place to start is thinking is, is formulating a question statement, which is, what is the problem? So what is mm -hmm. the problem I'm trying to solve? 
if you can figure out what the problem is, then you can start to process think. And the better you get at process thinking, I think it's inevitably leads you towards this interest in AI and technology uh, and process improvement. And I think then you become better melded into that, that world of technology. Wonderful. Great. I know here in, in Southern California, each area has a, an innovations committee specifically, which kind of houses a lot of this sort of not, not just technology, but innovation work as well, too. So whatever your clinical question is or your opportunity for improvement, whether it be technology or otherwise, you go to this in the innovations committee as kind of the, the think tank to help you get get the right resources and the people you need in place to actually implement that change to, uh, to so for anyone in Southern California interested. Um, uh, next question, how fast is the rate of change for AI in healthcare? Uh, a recent Permanente Live webinar, it suggested a, a, as quickly as next quarter, new innovations at, at May were gonna be starting to be coming in place. Um, so how fast is this changing and is it, is, it, is it exponentially ramping up speed as well? It's an interesting question. Um, I think technology has, I would say for the Permente Medical Group, we've been utilizing technology for many years. For example, in dermatology, we have been doing what's called teledermatology for over a decade. Uh, and as I speak to other institutions, you know, we're far ahead of the curve and already implementing technology. So I feel like during COVID, we were so far ahead with virtual care that other institutions started catching up. And there was sort of this perfect bubble for people to start developing technology for virtual care. So technology is changing and more and more AI tools are becoming available and, and developed. I think implementation in medicine still has a few hurdles because we are so bound in keeping patients safe, keeping information safe, making sure it's the right thing to do. We do tests of changes. And as you do test of changes, the implementation part of that or the expansion of projects, it still takes time. But I think small amounts of test of changes are occurring everywhere. Um, every medical center is testing something. And so mm -hmm. that's occurring very fast because people have ideas, they have uh, you know, uh, pain points. And so we do want to change them. I think it's, it's the expansions that take a little more time. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, next question here, we'll have to wrap up soon, but these, this is fantastic. We could go on all day and I, and I love the questions. Um, uh, you mentioned three buckets of, of AI predictive analytics. Um, what, what are the other, what are those three buckets of predictive analytics? So predictive analytics is the one where we think of as a crystal ball where you stratify, can take all sorts of information uh, and try to predict, let's say, who needs the care, how to stratify the care. Uh, there's na natural language processing, which we are doing with secure messages right now, uh, where we look at basically language and certain words or key, key phrases that allow us to, again, um, stratify who needs to take care of a message. So that's what the second section. And then computer vision, as I mentioned before, where we're looking at images and you would look and the, the computer itself would look at the images and try to figure out uh, what commonalities it has and what differential we could create. Great. And then the last question from the chat here. Um, can you talk about what's being done with AI and technology for pre-appointment optimization? Um, I feel like this is a very much untapped uh, potential. 
Sorry, could you repeat that pre-appointment? Oh, uh, like what is being done for like pre-appointment optimization? Um, I know here in Southern California, we have what's called a, a smart triage where when a patient has a video or a telephone visit with me, they can go in and mark what medicines they're taking. They can actually almost fill out their own HPI and review systems prior to the appointment. So that way, when I get on that virtual visit, that information is already there. Right. So I know that's something we're doing here in Southern California. Are there any other kind of larger projects regarding sort of pre-appointment optimization um, to kind of get all that busy work done ahead of time so we can really maximize the time you have together with the patient? Great question. I think there's uh, several things I could talk about. One is uh, we're doing a lot of work on uh, virtual care sort of through the Kaiser system on the, on the app itself or on, on, uh, online. And patients can fill out questionnaires or they can fill out a whole host of other um, send images ahead of time so we can collate that information. Uh, mm -hmm. E-visits are another example where they can collate information on a certain concern. That's one thing. Two is uh, we are also going to be testing uh, in the early phases of our pilot is an self-care app where you can sort of take your images and take your information and try to figure out maybe you can really the computer can tell you what you have and it's limited so before you even shoot for calling the doctor or emailing the doctor doing some other pre-work on your own as a patient and then collecting the information and sending it on to somebody before they as they do their visit visit yeah, that, that's such a great plan. This is wonderful. We could go on all day. Uh, we're a little bit long. We like to keep these chats a little bit shorter, but this has been such a good, good conversation. I, I really appreciate your time. Last and perhaps the most important question, uh, what makes you most proud to be a permanent day physician? Great. I love that question. So I was in private practice before I joined permanent day, Um, and it was really the best career move I made. And I'll tell you why. Because my sweet spot is this, this, this sort of meld between clinical work, clinical uh, medicine, research, and technology. It's the one place I found that I could dive into all three. So as my career evolved with Permanente 20 plus years now, I was able to start with just clinical medicine, add in research, develop my technology uh, love, and really work in that sweet spot. And I think very few organizations or practices can do that. Evolving your career, um, and just opening up your mind to what else you, you might be interested in. Amazing. Uh, well, thank you, uh, Dr. Mawaha. This was wonderful. I really appreciate you taking the time for joining us and sharing your expertise. Thank you very much, Alex. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and are not meant to represent the views of the Permanente Federation, the Permanente Medical Groups, or Kaiser Permanente.